This is the Action Network Podcast. And this one is good. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to the Action Network podcast. I'm Brandon Anderson, and oh my God, Mason Crosby just missed another field goal. I am here with Raheem Palmer to wrap up a 15-hour bonkers week five. Raheem, where do we even start with this mess? Every kicker decided to go out and party on Saturday night <laughs> and decided that, you know what, I'm just going to have a hangover game. And it just didn't turn out the way Michael Jordan's did in the 1997 NBA Finals, fortunately. No, it did not. We had seven missed extra points by the 45 minutes into the opening slate this afternoon. We had a London game to start things off. We had like an hour-long weather delay in the Sunday night game. So we've been doing football all day today. Let's get to the, the good stuff here. We're going to run through the Sunday slate, betting takeaways from every game. We'll preview Monday Night Football and finish with our Week 6 hot read. As always, odds today from BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. Let's start out with about half of those missed kicks. In Cincinnati, the Packers got the win 25-22, to 22, but not before a wild finish. So let me just set the stage here. There are two and a half minutes left. The Packers are in position for the field goal. We're, we're tied up. So Mason Crosby has made 27 straight field goals at this point. We all know Mason Crosby has been their kicker forever. Misses the field goal. Bengals drive down in regulation. Miss the field goal. Packers get the ball back after the long missed field goal. Miss another field goal. So we got miss, miss, miss. We're headed to overtime. First play of overtime. The very first play. Joe Burrow drops back and throws a screen to the Packers, just like throws it st straight to them. Just couldn't have telegraphed anymore. If you were trying to throw the game, you would have made it look even more suspicious than that. So the Packers get the ball back. And what do they do? Not just put it into the end zone and the game. They run into the line. They lose some yards. They miss a field goal. The Bengals drive back down. They miss a field goal. Finally, mercifully, thank God, Mason Crosby missed his I think fourth game winning attempt in the final 10 minutes of the game. And by the way, Mason Crosby missed an extra point earlier in the game. Otherwise it would have been over anyways. We wouldn't have had to miss all the extra field goals. So that was the Packers 25, 22. Somehow the Packers cover the two and a half. If you got the line at the right moment, otherwise it may have been a push the, the most lousy, awful push of all time. Uh, we did not quite, hit the over. We, we could have, if the Packers had scored a touchdown, any of those mini attempts that we gave them, it was a wild game. We missed a lot of kicks. McPherson missed kicks. The Bengals kicker missed a kick for the win and then celebrated. Like you thought he made it like only the Bengals could do. I don't know. Where, where, where do we go with this? It's a mess. I want to, I want to look at this game. Obviously uh, the, the Packers pretty much dominated. They, they won in yards. 466 to 300, 367 yards per play, 7.4 to 5.6 rushing yards. They had more, like they got the more turnovers. Basically they just struggled in the red zone. They had 40% red zone TD percentage. Obviously they were two for five. Cincinnati was two for two in the red zone. And 
the Packers had three missed field goals in it and a missed point after after touchdown. So it's just this was a game where the Packers probably should have won it by double digits, but they they struggled on those red zone in the red zone. Obviously, they they were missing Jair Alexander, so that's the he's probably the most important cornerback in the league, and. Jamar Chase is just out there proving that he's a number one receiver. So I think the Packers, they played a game that they typically play. They had great, I mean, they're a great offensive team, but they can't really defend. They just didn't convert in the red zone. Yeah, Jamar Chase had another huge game, 159 yards and a touchdown. Made a huge play in, I think, overtime on, on one of the 17 possible game-winning drives. I forget which one. Had a great catch on the sideline that I thought was going to set Cincinnati up for the win. Uh, he looks awesome. He's been he's been everything advertised and better. Devonta Adams was catching a pass every time you watched. Uh, he had 206 yards and a touchdown. It did feel like the Packers were kind of in control the whole way. Right before halftime, uh, Jamar Chase had a 70-yard touchdown. That was kind of a broken play-ish. They just chucked it up, and Green Bay tried to the, – the defender tried to jump in front, and then there's just nobody else behind. So Chase just walked into the end zone. So that was seven of the points. And then late in the game, Packers are up eight, and the Bengals had like their one really good drive of the game, 75 yards for the touchdown and the two-point conversion. But that's most of their points. That's 15 out of the 22 points. The rest of the game, the Packers were in control. They're moving the ball. Adams is open literally every time that he ran out for a route. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of these two teams because Cincinnati is 3-2 and two now. So, theoretically – to be Green Bay on the road and mostly dominant, dominate that game is a pretty impressive performance. But then again, I mean, how many how many ways can you miss an opportunity to win a game? Like, has any game ever more deserved to end in a tie than this one? Like, we needed a Packers missed field goal and then one more drive down and like from the one yard line, one last Bengals missed field goal for the tie. This how is this not a tie? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we were close to getting there. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't complete that pass on third and long in overtime, I think we might have a tie. We were close. I mean, we, we could have had a couple more missed field goals in there. Mason Crosby is missing kicks left and right and somehow ends up being the hero of the game at the end of the game when he finally makes the game winner. So uh, Joe Burrow, by the way, was taken to the hospital after the game for a throat contusion. I don't really know what that is. A contusion is a bruise. So I guess that, you know, somebody like punched him in the throat during the game or something. I don't know what that that doesn't seem great. He finished the game. He didn't he, you know, I think missed a, a little bit of time, then came back in. Um, doesn't seem like that should be something that sticks with them, but something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah. Can we stop settling for field goals? Like how many times did a team the, the defenses were not stopping teams down the stretch here and just finish the job? Like when the, when the Bengals fumbled the opening play in overtime, or sorry, through the interception on opening play in overtime, the Packers got the ball right there. Just run a couple of plays and end it. Run off the field, go home, save us all the missed field goals. I don't understand the selling for field goals. I don't understand all the missed extra points. Just go for two. Get the kickers out of here. We tried to change the rules to make the kickers less important, and we made them more important than ever because now they miss everything. A lot of these coaches are just conservative by nature, and I think that's what – Teams are – you have coaches who are more afraid of losing than actually going out there and wanting to win these games. And I think that's a, that's a great segue into our next game. Yes, when you look is. at 
the Chargers and, and Browns. And you have a coach in Brandon Staley who is going to go out there and try to win these games. The Chargers, they were they were three for three on, on fourth down. Yeah. And th- those were the differences in the games. I mean, when you look at in any every other area, 531 yards to 493, rushing yards 230 to 111, and turnovers. It felt like a game that the Browns should have won, but Justin Herbert converted on fourth down, converted on third down. They just made the necessary necessary plays to take this game. Yeah, those fourth downs were huge too. Brandon Staley just keeps on making winning decisions. The the decisions that NFL Twitter wants all the coaches to make, only Brandon Staley is making those decisions. And I think he's even making them a little more aggressively than we want them to. You know, it's it's 27-13, just five minutes after halftime. That's when they went for that fourth and two on their own 24. Like if you don't get that, that feels like game over because you're basically giving up another three to seven points right there and you're down three scores at that point. They get that one. They go for fourth again later on that drive and score touchdown. And now they were down 14. They do the other analytics thing. They go for two and they get it successfully. And that's the thing that we all know you're supposed to do. The math says if you're down 14, you score a touchdown and go for two. They did that. And they did that with like still 20 minutes left in the game. And it's a good thing. They got, they needed the extra point when it got down near the end of the game. Later in the game, they're down seven now driving And again, they're in kind of field goal range, down seven. Any coach in the NFL settles for the field goal there. Gets the fourth down. They're like, all right, well, let's get the points. Got to get the points. No, you're still losing by, you still need a touchdown. Like you're still down four after that point. Staley knew it. He went for it. They picked up the first down. They score a touchdown. Of course, after they score the touchdown, they miss the extra point. They, they, I thought that the Chargers were going to Chargers again. You know, the way that they always find a way to lose games. We've talked about that before. And they are still doing some of those mistakes. It's very concerning. The Chargers special teams is god-awful. It's so bad. They came into this game ranked 31st in special teams. And I got to think they're going to be 32nd after this. I'm not talking about in DVOA. They miss an extra point at the end of the game that nearly cost them the game. They should have tied it. Instead, they're down one. They had four times this game where they brought the kickoff out when they shouldn't have. Just take the touchback, and they brought it out and got buried inside the 20, and they're just losing like 10 yards a pop on each one of those. The Chargers are 31st in DVOA special teams. Last two years, they were 32nd. That's how many teams there are. (laughs) That's dead last, and they are not fixing this problem. And no special teams doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but it is like 10 15% of the game by the way the analytics line up. And so it's frustrating as much as Staley is finding all these edges with the decision-making. I can't make up my mind. Do we, do we credit the chargers for all the positive decisions they're making or do we fault them for the fact that they keep getting on the third and fourth down and that they keep making all these special teams mistakes? They won this game and were absolutely dominating. Like, so I'm totally impressed. Like Cleveland had a 53% rushing success rate. And they absolutely got gashed on the ground. And for me, they're like, if they would play this game over a hundred times, a thousand times, I think Cleveland covers in most of them. And it came down to Justin Herbert making plays. And I, it, you know what it reminds me of? The 2017 Eagles. Doug Peterson, he was like really aggressive. And I felt like he found like a market inefficiency. And since then, we started to see more coaches say, you know what, I'm going for it on fourth down. But I think 
Brandon Staley is taking what Doug Peterson did to the total next level. Like, you know that you have to stop this team on four downs. Like, period. If you're if you're in the green zone, you have to stop the Chargers four times. It's not, oh yeah, you got to start to stop them three times and then they punt or you kick a field goal. They, they just don't let you off the hook. And I think that's impressive. And to me, I think you got to be looking at Super Bowl futures because we saw Baltimore do this a couple of years ago. I mean, they're they're analytically sound and they'll go for it. But the difference between Baltimore and the Chargers is that they have a quarterback and they have weapons who can who can actually like stretch the field and and, and do different things. Whereas just Baltimore is primarily they're built on the run. Like we saw the Chargers, they're built to come back from double digit deficits. And that's scary to know that you have to stop a team four times at any given moment. And we saw it against the Chiefs. They went forward on, instead of kicking the field goal in overtime, they went forward on fourth and eight. Now they got the pass interference call, but that's what happens in today's NFL. Like we, we saw it today. They got a pass interference call, which changed the outcome of the game. And if you, you got a quarterback who could just throw it up there for his receivers and his receivers and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams aren't guardable, you're going to find yourself in positions to where you're going to draw flags. And I, I think right now, to me, the Chargers, they got, a, they got a good defense. Obviously, they can't stop the run. So, that I mean, that's, that's a struggle. But I would rather have a team that can slow down the pass than be able to stop the run. And today's NFL. So, I think this is a, this is a Super Bowl team. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I know that you think that, and I think that half of me and then the other half of me is like, holy cow, red flags everywhere. There's got to be regression coming. Because in this game, the Chargers had the ball for 23 minutes. Like, that was the thing. We both picked the Browns coming to this game. We thought that the run game was going to dominate. And then it did. You know, the Browns ran for 230 yards, 6.6 yards a carry, dominated time of possession. Chargers had that fumble before half that cost them a field goal. They had two missed extra points. They allowed almost eight yards of play. But three for three on fourth down, four for four in the red zone. The problem is... If you need to go 100% in the red zone and 100% on fourth down and still have the late drive to win the game, and we've seen that happen now on multiple of these games, you know, that was kind of the formula against the Chiefs that got the win. And it worries me that they keep needing this incredible elite efficiency because history tells us that 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 has to regress a little bit. Now, that might be offset because maybe you take a few more fourth down chances and you get a few extra things, a few extra chances at the apple. And so maybe that's what Staley is doing is offsetting and giving them more chances for this. Maybe that's the helping the third down aggression, knowing that they're willing to go for a fourth down. So the math is not necessarily just apples to apples from past years, but it does make me concerned that the run game still is very leaky. It makes me concerned that they're still struggling on first and second down. These are the things, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were flipped on this you were a little concerned about them. And I was saying, yeah, but they're still coming through. And when the first and second down stuff catches up, then how good will they be? And I, I still, I go back and forth. I, I think that they are a better team on first and second than they look like, but I wonder how much some of that late stuff can hold up. The other thing too, we, we didn't even talk about the end of this game. So if you are like Raheem and I, if you bet on the Browns in this game at plus two and a half, this was our stink of the week. Smell it, smell it, smell it. It's the smell. It's quite pungent. Dude, plug your nose. It stinks. This is your stink of the week. 
So it's 42-21. Browns are up. The Chargers miss that extra point. And so the Chargers get the ball back. They're driving late. Austin Eckler gets the ball and is running toward the end zone and very smartly slides down inbounds at like the three-yard line. And at this point, all you got to do is just kneel the ball a couple times. The Browns are out of timeouts. Kneel it, kneel it, kick the field goal, and go home. Now I know, kick the field goal, you literally just missed the extra point. But the extra point is further out. You never miss field goals at like the two-yard line. Unless Tony Romo is holding the ball, you make the field goals there. So just kneel the ball twice. So the Chargers do the smart thing, kind of. They hand the ball off to Austin Eckler, who clearly was not trying to score. He kind of just walks into the back of his line, and you can tell he's just trying to run some timeout. But the Browns also know what's happening, and the Browns guys get behind Eckler and push him into the end zone for the touchdown. So rather than the Chargers just kneeling it and kicking the field goal, and then they win 44-42, and we still get our plus two and a half. We get the cover. Instead, Eckler tries to not score, but the defense tries to score Eckler and succeeds. So stink of the week if you were on the Browns two and a half. Stink of the week if you had Austin Eckler on your opponent's fantasy team. I know some of you lost because of that touchdown that he was not trying to get. So that was you know, that was you know what? Beat. That, that was confusing for me because we saw the Chargers kicker miss an extra point on the kick before. So I wonder if Brandon Staley even wanted to actually play for the kick or he was just trying to run it there and just put them at the goal line. And then they planned on doing some type of sneak or something like that. Cause that was, that was so strange to me. Like normally a team would just take a knee. So maybe he just didn't like, and we saw this against Kansas city. Yeah, Yeah. They didn't run. They didn't run the ball there. They actually threw, they threw a fade. So it's just like, I, I'm not sure if they wanted to play for the field goal or not. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what the game plan was. I wish yeah. somebody in the presser actually asked them a question about because I, I was really confused about that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, in the, in the Chiefs game, I remember it was really windy and they had missed a couple of kicks because of the wind. So I think that was a factor there. It doesn't feel like that was a factor here. And missing the extra point, the extra point is twice as far out as the kick from like the two yard line where it's coming like they literally kickers make that like 90 or 99% of the time. Even the Chargers disastrous special teams should have made that one. So, I mean, it was pretty clear he was not pushing, trying to get in on that one. And then the Browns guys came in behind him. But if you're not that great, I agree with that. Very smart. Just kneel it out and get to the field goal. But Neil, why are you running? What What is there to gain by running? So very confusing for all the things we love about Staley that that could have cost them the game because you get the touchdown They didn't get the two, and now Cleveland gets the ball back with a chance to score. And these teams are scoring left and right. There was 11 touchdowns in this game. So you definitely don't want to give the Browns any chances left. You're way better off to just get the field goal attempt and go home with a win, hopefully. So I don't know. It it was a bit of a mess. That, That To me, this is why I'm still a little bit worried about the Chargers. Not necessarily worried, but not also willing to call them Super Bowl team because they're getting some of these bounces. The Chargers never get those, but they're, they're, they're getting some of the things to go their way. They're the hot team right now, but I feel like I'm not, I can't quite get there with you on putting them to the Super Bowl. We both were high on them coming into the year. So Staley coach of the year certainly is looking, looking like a great pick right now. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's going to be tricky. 
I mean, at least the Chargers have Mason Crosby coming in to kick the field goal. We'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I, th- I think there's a lot of concerns, but when you're taking a future, you're, you're taking a flyer. I mean, like, it's staggering. On third and fourth down, they convert. They had a success rate of 59%. And obviously, at some point, that has to regress. And obviously, the early down stuff is troubling. But I've never seen anything like this before, where it's just like you constantly have to be prepared to stop this team on four downs. And I'm not sure the NFL is prepared for it. And it, it's clear to today, because the Browns have a solid defense, to, to, to stop a team with the offense this poet on four down is just tough. And they're going to put that constant pressure on. For sure. So the Chargers moved to four and a one. They are at the top of the AFC West. Down at the bottom of the AFC West, once again, are the Kansas City Chiefs. So that was our Sunday night game. The Chiefs played the Bills. This was a weird one. We were in a monsoon for part of the game. We had like an hour-long weather delay at halftime. The Bills ended up winning 38 to 20. Kind of dominated most of the way. Josh Allen and the Bills were moving the ball anytime they wanted to. And yet again, the Chiefs got in a big turnover trouble. We keep saying, like, oh, it'll even back out. They're moving the ball however they want to. But they had four turnovers in this game. Patrick Mahomes had a pick six, even though it wasn't really his fault. It went off the receiver's hands. Um, Josh Allen had a great game, over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Had a huge play near the end of the game, that, that hurdle to kind of pick up the first down when the game was starting to slip a little bit out of hand. Um, ref show all the way. Just disastrous refs. I don't even know if it favored anyone. It did not favor the viewers. It certainly didn't favor either team. It felt like these calls were just so unpredictable and going any direction. Is there anything to take away from this game? I think the biggest thing to take away is that this Chiefs defense is absolutely abysmal. And the Bills were averaging 9.2 yards per play. And they, they ended up finishing at 8.1 yards per play. But it was just all types of chunk plays. It was explosive plays. You didn't even get a chance to catch your breath into the drive. Like, you'll be watching, it'll be one or two plays, and the next thing you know, the Bills will score. Early pass, they had a 53% success rate, and they got a first down on 47% of their early passing downs. EPA per play, 0.83. I mean, they just were absolutely dominant. The other thing that I take away from it is that the Bills' defense is actually for real. Like, I, I came into this thinking, okay, they played the Steelers, they played the Dolphins, they played the Washington football team. They also play Davis Mills. So I'm thinking, okay, this Chiefs offense is the best offense in the league by far. The Bills aren't going to know what hit them. And they were actually able to slow down Patrick Mahomes. Felt like they had the perfect recipe with the two deep safeties. And you're seeing that they're making the Chiefs have these long drives. And when you try to have a long drive, you got to be perfect. The, the Bills are for real. And I, I think I slept on them before that. Yeah, I think the Bills have to be considered the Super Bowl favorite right now, even with the Cardinals being undefeated, just the way Buffalo is playing. Yeah, the defense was impressive. The Chiefs entered tonight through four games. The Chiefs had only had nine fourth downs the entire season, which is an absolutely absurd number. I was sure that I heard that wrong when they said on the broadcast. Nine fourth downs, that's two per game the entire season. They had seven tonight. So Buffalo got them to fourth down. The defense was good. Like, you hold Kansas City to 20 points. I don't care what the weather is or the ref show or anything else. You've done a good job. Seven fourth downs forced, four turnovers forced. Yeah, Josh Allen had a huge first half. Buffalo ran 24 plays in the first half and scored 24 points. So you're doing something pretty good when you're averaging a point per play. The Bills have now led at halftime in 14 consecutive games, which is an NFL record. 
So I, I think I agree with you that they kind of have gone a little bit under the radar, not, not really under the radar. The odds are up high They're They've been a super bowl, one of the favorites ever since the beginning, but I feel like now everyone actually has to talk about them. Like we actually have to admit, okay, this, this thing is real. The defense is real. Josh Allen is real. Even early in the season, the Bills' offense wasn't quite catching up. The defense was kind of showing up, and Allen looked a little bit more like two years ago Allen than the possible MVP from last year. Now he's coming around, although, you know, Chiefs' defense, so we'll see. Um, but, yeah, the, the Chiefs' defense is, is a big problem, too. They have allowed, I saw at the end of the broadcast, they've allowed 29 or more points each of their first five games. They're the first team in NFL history to do that. Sorry, they're, they're tied. No team has ever allowed more than that. So they've allowed 29, 36, 30, 30, and 38 points. That's 33 points a game allowed. And I know it's the Chiefs. They can score 35 perfectly fine. They will in a lot of games. But you're asking a whole lot of your offense when you have to score 35 and you can't turn it over and you have to be able to, like you almost need the offense to be a little less explosive you almost need in Kansas City, the offense has to keep the defense off the field. They could use a few like long drives and run the ball a little bit so the defense gets to catch their breath. The, the opposite of the way that everyone plays the Chiefs. So it, it sounds like I think both of us are in on the Bills. Let me ask you about the Chiefs. We had this conversation a few times now. Where are we at on the Chiefs? Their odds are starting to slip a little bit. Mahomes is down to plus 1,000 on MVP, which is about the lowest. We've seen that number for years at this point. The Chiefs are finally out of the top couple of favorites. Is this a spot to buy low on the Chiefs or are, are we out? They're they're so good offensively. I mean, you said it earlier. They've only had nine fourth, fourth downs all season before tonight. And they played a, a Bills defense, which is obviously one of the best in the league. So I don't think you can count this team out. But I'm personally not buying right now. What do you I mean? Are you buying? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, what's wild is so Raheem and I are watching this game, texting each other. Okay, we're gonna are we gonna record this game is done. Raheem says, you know, with a few minutes left in the third quarter, this game is done. The Bills are up eighteen. Let's just record. And any other team in the league, I would have shut my laptop and got you know gotten ready to record. It's over. But it's the Chiefs, and it's like there's no way I'm recording with twenty minutes left and eighteen points down that they could do that by the end of the third quarter. And so it's just like we give the Chiefs. I give the Chiefs so much credit. Even, you know, on the broadcast, the Bills go up 18 with like five minutes left. And they talk about like, oh, well, the lead is a little bigger. And now like, no, it's over. There's five minutes left and they're down 18. The game is over. History says it's over. But Patrick Mahomes says, well, maybe not. So it, it's wild right now. We, we were rough right now. The Chiefs are plus 125 to win the division. The Chargers are plus 115, and the Chargers are two and a half games up on the Chiefs right now, and really good. And it's like, we, the Chiefs are, are the walking dead at this point. Like, we cannot kill them off because Patrick Mahomes is, is like leading the, the zombie flock still. But I don't know. I can't bet on them, but I also can't bet against them. Yeah, I think the, the, the play is to sit tight. I, we were a roughing the passer penalty away from the Chiefs having the ball down 11 with yep. 13 minutes to go. And from I like felt, midfield too. Like yeah. And a score. I felt robbed. I felt robbed of that opportunity. But when I looked at the game, it felt like Mahomes didn't have it going. It felt like the Bills defense was doing enough to slow this offense down. So that's why I kind of hit you and said, let's record now because it just didn't <laughs> like, I, I'm going to be honest with you. 
it felt like the Chiefs were in a bad spot when they were down 14 and 10 and had to punt. Because Buffalo yeah. was just getting such explosive plays that I just didn't see how they could win that game at that point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Bills, the Bills were my upset special from our Friday pod. So I, I felt good about them. But the fact that they can be doing what I thought, dominating on really both sides of the ball, as much as you can dominate the Chiefs offense, be up 18 and still have me too terrified to turn off the TV after 15 hours of football and be like, I don't know, they're only down 18. We'll see what happens. Mahomes, you know, it's like it's it's crazy that he, he might be playing almost, you know, he's playing some of the best ball of his life, Patrick Mahomes says. So the numbers that they're putting up are absurd right now. So, you know, it's certainly not over for the Chiefs. They're out of the playoffs. If the playoffs started right now, they're out. Uh, I think that they're like the eight or nine seed. They're going to make the playoffs. The offense is just way too good to not make the playoffs, but they're probably going to get there as a five, six, seven wild card, you know, and, and like pity the team that draws Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in the first round. You win your division and you get your home game and there's Pat on the other side. Sorry about it. Uh, you know, like that might be the Bills. That might be the Browns. Um, you know, God help us if the Chiefs get the five seed and and go to the road we might have like a road 14 point favorite. If, if that's the chiefs and they play whoever wins the AFC South, like, can you imagine Patrick Mahomes as the five seed against the Titans or the Colts or the, the you know, the Texans, like it, it's going to be a <laughs> bloodbath on the road. I can't, I can't wait to bet on that one. So let's, let's flip that from the AFC over to the NFC. We've gone long on those three games. Let's talk about a couple other games here because the NFC wildcard picture has kind of gotten blown wide open. We're going to come back to that in a little bit, but let's talk first about the Saints and the football team. Washington was defeated 33-22. to 22. Wild game. Jameis Winston had a Hail Mary touchdown at the end of the first half, but really isn't every Jameis Winston to pass a Hail Mary at some point. Uh, him, Taylor Heineke, it's like anything can happen on any play with either one of these guys. Like I don't know if Taylor Heineke is the new Jameis Winston or if Heineke is the new Daniel Jones or if Daniel Jones is the new Jameis Winston. They're all the same guy that on any given play can like run or make some play up and do something amazing, some sandlot play, or just do the absolute biggest disaster play. So Heineke had two picks. Jameis had a pick on the first possession. Saints win 33-22. I have no idea what I learned from this game. I mean, I learned the same thing that I've learned the entire season. The Washington football team's defense is the most overrated unit in football. And it was kind of obvious that we would see the type of game that we saw from the Saints last Sunday. I actually gave out the over on the hot read last week. I think I gave it out 43 and a half and it moved up to about 44. We actually saw some resistance in the market because the Washington football team came in with such injuries and I actually responded to that resistance by actually buying out of my bet. But this felt like an over. They had it set so low because Washington still has this perception of being this, this great defense, but they're anything but that. And unfortunately, the offense isn't good enough to overcome what you're seeing defensively. And when I watched the when I watched the first half of the game, it felt like the Saints literally had beat themselves. They had a fumble, they had an interception from Jameis, and that's what kept Washington in this game. But the Saints won every category. I'm not high on this Washington team. I the Cowboys are the cream of crop in that, in that division. And I think the Saints, they're going to challenge for a wild card spot. I really do. I yeah, think Washington, so. 
Washington moved the ball that seven times they had the ball inside the 35, you know, in, in what I would call scoring range. And on those seven times, they scored two touchdowns, settled for three field goals and turn it over twice. So that's the problem. You lose by 11. Well, that's three field goals. Each time you're leaving four points on the table. So that's 12 points plus two turnovers. You got nothing out of it. And they lost by 11. So, you know, it, I thought that the Saints defense was the unit that was going to dominate. That didn't happen in this game either. To me, New Orleans and Washington are two of the teams that I'm least excited to bet on at this point, just because I have no idea what's going to happen with them. You know, maybe, I don't you know, I was going to say maybe overs, but then you see the Saints just go out and lay a complete egg and, and not even score points. So it's almost like just hope that the line is kind of big and take the opposite, just take the points and take the money line and take whatever the extra juices that the books are giving you because anything can happen in these games, but there are two of the teams that I don't have a great read on. I don't know about the saints for the wild card. We'll come back to that in a second, but let's talk about Eagles Panthers. So the Eagles come back to win that one. They only had six points heading into the last play of the third quarter and then came back and got the win 21 to 18 over the Panthers. Sam Darnold had three interceptions. The Panthers had a punt block. What did you think of this one? The Eagles defense kind of really saved the season. I felt like Carolina had it. And honestly, I got to a point where I was kind of bored with the game. And I'm just like, all right. And obviously, I'm from Philadelphia. So my, my <laughs> timeline is full, full of people from Philadelphia just hating on this team. But Jalen Hurts, he did what he had to do to, to pull this game out. I think this Panthers team is not a team that you really want to bet on without CMC in the lineup. These are two average teams, and you got to pick your spots when you bet them. A lot of sharp money was on the Philadelphia Eagles, yeah. and I think you might see some sharp money on the Eagles next week as well. I think there's some respected betters who actually respect the Eagles. Um, I'm still – the window's still out for me, though. Yeah, they're another one of those short underdogs that that won. They were ended up as two-and-a-half-point dogs and got the win. We've seen that happening all season long, plus 120 in the money line. One thing I do like about this team – is low-key Nick Sirianni, their new coach, is kind of making some of those same plus EV decisions that Staley is doing. The Eagles are going for it on fourth down. They're going for two at smart times. And they've got Jalen Hurts, a running quarterback, so they're using him well. And that kind of opens up some more of those possibilities on, on short-down opportunities. So I do like that. I feel like the Eagles are kind of buying themselves a few extra opportunities that way. So, let's, so at the bottom out of the playoffs are the Giants and the Lions. They're the only two teams in the NFC that have one and zero wins. At the top, we got five teams. The Bucks are five, or sorry, the Cardinals are five and oh, they're in. The Bucks, Cowboys, Rams, and Packers, four and one. So if we assume that those five teams are in and the Giants and Lions are out, that's five teams out of our seven. That leaves nine more NFC teams all stuck in the middle right now. So just to set the stage, here's what we got. There are three teams at three and two, Panthers, Saints, and Bears. And then at two and three are the Vikings, Eagles, Washington, the 49ers, Falcons, and the Seahawks. Nine teams, two spots in all likelihood come out of those teams. So we do not have odds yet for these teams, but it looks like there's got to be some value here on the, to make the playoffs or maybe to miss the playoffs. So out of those nine teams, who catches your eye as a team that you think might make the playoffs? I think I want to go with the Chicago Bears. Wow. Yeah, because I think they play in a division where nobody actually wants to win. <laughs> <laughs> the defense is – it's not great, but, I mean, it's solid. I think they have something with Fields. And 
I don't, I don't, I just don't know about any of these other teams. Seattle was, is obviously done. Washington, I, I told you, I don't really like their defense. The 49ers are just going to fall too far back. The Seahawks are obviously done with no Russell Wilson for the next month as he recovers from his, his, his finger surgery. And I, I think, yeah, I think that, that that's probably the, the the next best selection. If it's not the Saints, if it's honestly, it's, it's out of the Saints and the Bears for me. That's interesting. So I kind of went through and ranked these teams. I didn't have not have the Saints or the Bears as top four contenders here. The Bears schedule over the next month, they play the Packers, the Bucks, the Niners, and the Steelers, and then they hit their bye week. That is a rough stretch for a rookie quarterback. And let's be honest, Fields is not looking that great right now. He's definitely not Andy Dalton, which is good enough, but it's not like the Bears offense is really doing anything so impressive. And, you know, facing, are they going to score enough points to beat the Packers or the, or the Bucks? Are they going to be able to score on the Niners defense and the Steelers defense? I mean, I feel, the, the 49ers defense is leaky. It's insane with the Packers. I think, I think they're live to beat both of those teams. I think they're alive, but I think that they're clear underdogs in certainly the first three of those, maybe the fourth one by then. So I, I, to me, the Bears could be buried here. Their schedule is tough. I think that you're ruling out the NFC West teams too quickly. Those Both teams, the, the 49ers and the Seahawks, I think are still alive. The Seahawks, maybe. It's, it's a little bit of a long shot. So what I like about the Seahawks is that they play the Steelers, Saints, Jaguars, and then have their bye week. So those are winnable games, even with Geno Smith, maybe. You should beat the Jaguars because everyone should be the Jaguars. So if you win that game and then sneak a win in one of the other two games in like coin flippy sort of games, then get to the bye week and that's a month. So maybe Russell Wilson is back now. That's it. He's got to be back and you got to go two and one and get there. But if you do, then you get to four and four, you come out of the bye, you get Russell Wilson back. I think you have a shot. So I'm not ready to bury the Seahawks yet. If Wilson's out longer, if they don't get these games now, they're definitely out. I like San Francisco. That's the team that I like out of this mix. Although... I like them a lot better before I read the news or after the game. Trey Lance and the, and the Niners didn't get the win today, but I like what I saw from Trey Lance. Pretty good for a first start on the road against an unbeaten team. The Niners played them pretty tough. Shanahan came out and said, Jimmy is still our starter, and also that he almost played today. So the Niners go into the bye week right now. This is the time to turn things over to Trey Lance. You have two weeks to get your offense ready and make this Trey Lance's team. This is the time right now. I love that it sets up because then you come out and after the bye week, you play the Colts and the Bears. Those are two winnable games. And they're two games you need to get at this point as the 49ers at two and three. And then home against the Cardinals and the Rams. Those are tough games, but you're at home. You got a shot at those. You're, and also, this is a great chance for the Niners to get an early bye week with all the injuries they have. Chance to get healthy a little bit, get some rest. They're starting to get a little healthier as it is. Kittle is still out, but uh, the, the schedule is winnable here. The Niners still get to play Jacksonville, Atlanta, and Houston later in the year. So those are three games they get to win. The last game of the season is at the Rams. That could work out because maybe the Rams are resting by then. So kind of like the Niners. They're two and three. I like what I saw today. I'm kind of still looking at Trey, Trey Lance's rookie of the year odds. This is a team I think people are going to just kind of forget about during the bye week. That's how we do during the bye week. And so I think he was at about 700. And the way that, you know, Jamar Chase is playing and Fields, I think Lance will slip a little bit. So I like those odds. I like the Niners here. To me, the Niners and the Panthers probably would be my, my pick. Uh, the Panthers host Minnesota next week. So that's a big spot for them. 
if Carolina can get that win, then they'll be in a pretty good shape. They've got a lot of pretty winnable games left. The Panthers play Giants, Falcons, Patriots, Washington, Dolphins, and Falcons over the next two months. That's a lot of winnable games. And Carolina's defense has been pretty good. So I would go with the Niners and the Panthers. I don't think that the odds on the Panthers when they come out are going to be worth betting on. I do think I want to play the Niners odds to make the playoffs. Though, What do you think of either of those two? See, I'm not mad at the 49ers. I, I, I understand the logic there. For me, Kyle Shanahan is still one of the premier play callers in this league. I, I just, to me, I felt like he didn't give his team the best chance to win today, though. I know everybody's obsessed with going for it on fourth down, but a lot of times in a defensive-minded game, sometimes you got to say, you know what, I'm going to take the points. Or sometimes you got to punt the ball away and say, you know, let's play field position. And when you looked at that game, the 49ers were one for four on fourth down. And it's just, you got a rookie quarterback, you're easing them in. Sometimes you got to take those points. And I just, it was a little frustrating for me to see, especially, obviously, I was a, I was a 49ers backer. I had them plus five and a half. Yeah. They, they failed on fourth down twice from the 50 and put Arizona in field goal range to pretty much ice the game. So it, it was like very frustrating for me. So I'm, I'm trying not to let that influence me, but I got to push back on your Seattle comment because <laughs> Seattle's offense wasn't even good with Russell Wilson in the game, like in like healthy. So there's no way that I'm oh, expecting. Seattle's offense was like number two or number three in DVOA this season and until today no, no. they were not good. No, like they're 25th in EPA per play. Like, they're 28th in success rate. We've seen this team. They played the 49ers last week with Russell Wilson, and they punted, like, on the first five drops. Like, this team, like, here's the thing. You can pretty much look at Seattle's season, and you can see in the first half of games, they were pretty, they were pretty dominant. But in the second half of games, they couldn't score. So it's just like this offense as a whole, it hasn't been very consistent. Obviously, they didn't perform well against the Rams. And they, they've had some real struggles. And I, I just think Shane Waldron, he's, he's come out with a solid game plan, but he can't make those adjustments. So now you're expecting him to do – like he had Russell Wilson. Now he's supposed to do it with, with Geno Smith. This Seattle team is done to me. If they make the playoffs, like I may run a marathon or something. Like I, I, like I, I just don't see how they survive it. I mean, maybe, maybe they could make the playoffs because we are in a seven game, 17 game season. And, you know, maybe some of the other wild card teams might falter, but I, I have no belief in them. As far as the Panthers, I think they have some issues on the offensive line. Today, we saw Sam Darnold, he's pressured on 18 of his 37 dropbacks. That's 49%. They really need to get Christopher McCaffrey back. I think when they get him back, that should open some things up. But this offensive line is a complete mess. And I think you can score on this team for as, as well as their defense has looked early in the season. We saw when they play a capable of, of opponent, you can put some points up. Yeah, I think that that's a fair point. I think the Panthers are going to be kind of right on the edge of things. The teams that I don't want to bet against here, I, I want to fade the Bears. That upcoming schedule is just rough for me. And I think now that they are three and two and Fields looking good and they're kind of a public team with, with Fields and in Chicago. I think that I'm going to get a chance at near even odds against them making the playoffs. I like that. I'm also going to fade my Minnesota Vikings. You know, the, the Vikings eked out the win, got to two and three to save the season. 
And I think most Vikings fans like myself were almost just wishing for them to lose at that point, put us out of our misery, get Zimmer out of here and go on to the next era. So Minnesota's two and three now. Here's the schedule, though. These are the next six games in a row for Minnesota. Panthers, Cowboys, Ravens, Chargers, Packers, Niners. It's over. The Vikings aren't winning all those games. They still got to play the Rams and the Packers in December. They got to play the Bears twice in December. Minnesota always has a rough time with the Bears. And Fields will have a lot more time under his belt by then. The Vikings aren't making the playoffs. At 2-3, and three, with that rough schedule, they, they needed to get a quick start. Today's win... I wondered coming into this exercise, maybe could they be the answer? They probably, all things being equal, they might be the best team on paper, at least, of this group of nine, but I think it's over for them. So I'll be looking for their odds. If it's anything close to even, even something like a minus 125 or something to bet against the Vikings to make the playoffs, I think that's a good spot for them as well. What do you think of that? See, I agree with you. I do think Minnesota is the best team on paper, but I think, in situations like this, you obviously want to look at who's the best coaches. And I think right now the game has kind of passed Mike Zimmer by. Like when you look at that game today against Detroit, they 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 dominated their game and they still found themselves in a position where they needed to they needed to score with 30 seconds left and get a field goal. And it's just, you know, I got spoke earlier about how I felt like Buffalo didn't play anybody. But one of the things I'm realizing is that. How you play those lesser teams is actually predictive of your status in this league. Buffalo went out there and absolutely dominated these teams, whereas just Minnesota found themselves in a dogfight. And Mike Zimmer is still content to run the ball. Like I I had a tweet earlier where I was talking about how they, they, they didn't have their starting running back, and yet they still found the need to go out there and rush more times on early downs. and you got one of the best receivers in the league in Justin Jefferson, and you're still not willing to throw as much on early downs, even though the success rate in the EPA and the results are saying you, you should open it up a little bit more. And you saw the, 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 the pass plays that they had to get down the field to win the game. Where was that all, all game? And I, I think that's a concern for me as far as the Vikings. So I agree with you. Yeah, both Zimmer and Cousins have proven that they are not nimble. They're not able to kind of update, change the game plan, be able to make up things as they go. It's a big problem because the NFL now is all about matchups and adaptation, and it's just not happening. So, all right, let's whip through the rest of Sunday action to wrap up week five. We've talked about a few of these games, but the 49ers turned it over on downs four times as Arizona spoiled Trey Lance's debut in the desert. Cardinals won 17-10. The game went way under. Arizona remains undefeated. Arizona might be the new center of the sports universe right now. Suns made the NBA Finals, lost to the Bucks. The Mercury made the WNBA Finals and are losing to the Sky right now. Maybe the Cardinals lose the Super Bowl to the Bills or the Browns. We're kind of trending in that direction right now. We'll see. Sam Darnold threw three interceptions in an ugly loss to the Eagles. Those two offenses had the lowest EPA of the week. Three touchdowns, five turnovers on 28 possessions combined. The Vikings were up 10 with two and a half minutes left before another miraculous Lions comeback fell short. Detroit actually went for two and took the lead with 37 seconds left, but Cousins connected in three passes and Greg Joseph actually made a field goal for once for the Vikings, a 54-yarder for the win. Somehow, in under a month, the Lions lost exactly 19-17 to on a long field goal twice in the same month. Heartbreak City for Moneyline backers. Another plus 300 gone awry for them. 
a wonky game in Houston. They had three missed extra points in the first quarter. They had a flea flicker touchdown, multiple Davis Mills jump balls that somehow worked out. Mac Jones led a late comeback to eke out a 25-22 win. If the Patriots game against the Bucs last week was a moral victory, this kind of felt like a moral loss, but they got the win. The Raiders laid an egg in Vegas. Justin Fields got the Bears to 3-2. and two. Ugly game. Uh, both teams under 260 yards on offense, so an easy under there. The Titans rolled the Jaguars 37-19. Derrick Henry, another monster game. Three touchdowns, 130 yards. Dude is on pace for 483 carries this season, which is an absolutely absurd number. Jacksonville, 20-game losing streak. First team since 1977 to do that. And we are sending them to London next week. Giants fans, hope you enjoyed your win. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, Kenny Galladay, all hurt. Dallas blew it wide open late, 44-20 for an easy win. The Broncos had a late comeback, but Teddy Bridgewater was picked off in the end zone. Mike Tomlin remains over 500 straight up as an underdog. Pittsburgh won 27-19. The Bucs won the Battle of Florida, 45-17. Tom Brady threw five touchdowns against the Dolphins and got his MVP campaign back on track. And if you forgot about Sunday morning football in London, you didn't miss much. It was an ugly matchup of two bottom-of-the-table squads with Atlanta controlling pace of play in the first half and scoring a late goal to put New York FC away, leaving the Jets firmly in the relegation zone. Falcons cover, but a field goal with 22 seconds left hit the over in a rough beat if you were on that one. Great news. If you enjoy terrible morning football, we're back next week. Dolphins, Jaguars, we're sending our best to London. All right, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor and get to Monday Night Football. The Action Network podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. And to celebrate the 2021 NFL season, BetMGM is offering a great sign-up offer for our listeners, a $1,000 risk-free first bet. You just open an account at BetMGM and make your first deposit. Then make your first bet. If that bet wins, the money is yours. And if your bet doesn't win, BetMGM will refund you in free bets up to $1,000. It's that simple. To get started, just click on the link in this episode description. BetMGM has been a great podcast partner, and they've got all the best features for NFL betting, like live betting and daily odds boosts. Plus, BetMGM is compatible with our BetSync technology, so when you place a wager at BetMGM, that bet can automatically be tracked in your action app. So open an account today and make your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just click on the link in this episode description to get started. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Michigan, New Jersey, Colorado, Indiana, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia, Tennessee, Nevada, or Pennsylvania. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. BetSync not available in Nevada. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, Monday night, Indianapolis Colts, Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens are seven-point favorites. This is a rivalry game. That's the sort of thing that happens when a city literally steals your team overnight. Robert Ursay, March 28th, 1984, packed up the team and drove off to Indianapolis overnight 
these teams don't like each other a lot. We had that great 30 for 30, the band that wouldn't die, the Baltimore band stayed behind. These teams don't like each other, but you know, 1984, most of these players weren't even alive when that happened. So Ravens, Colts, the Ravens are a touchdown favorite. Who do you like here? So for me, I actually gave out the Baltimore Ravens on a teaser. So if you want to actually open up your week six NFL betting with the Baltimore Ravens on a teaser, teasing that down from seven and a half to one and a half, that's a good play. Actually, the teaser I gave out on the video last Tuesday was the Minnesota Vikings minus one and a half, Baltimore Ravens minus one and a half. That got there with the late field goal. But I actually like the under in this game, under 46 and a half. One of the things that you have to recognize is that this Ravens defense is actually getting healthier. And I think they can put some pressure on Carson Wentz behind this offensive line that ranks just 29th in ESPN's pass block block rate. So I think that could be the biggest difference in the game as far as slowing things down. The, the Colts, they're, they're pretty solid defensively. And I think the Ravens, they run the ball so much. I'm just not expecting a really high-scoring game. So I think under 46, there's some value there. Yeah, I agree with the under. I think that is the best play on this game. These teams' unders are 5-3 and three so far this season. The three that didn't go under were games against the Chiefs, the Raiders, and the Rams. Yeah, you're probably not going to go under when you're playing offenses like that. So when they're not, when they're facing teams like each other, they're going under, they're not scoring a lot of points. The other thing they have to love as an under better is the offensive lines are all sorts of banged up in this game. The Colts still missing Quentin Griffin, who's their best and most important player. They're still missing Braden Smith, that right tackle. So they're missing their left guard and their right tackle. That is going to hurt the team. It has all year, especially while Carson Wentz still is not healthy himself. It's getting a little better, but all not, not very mobile. The Ravens still missing Ronnie Stanley, their star left tackle. Still missing their left guard as well. And their right tackle, Villanueva, might be out. He's questionable. So that's, again, two, maybe three linemen. And remember, Lamar Jackson still a little bit banged up. He's playing through a back injury. So what happens if both offensive lines are injured that favors the defense? And it puts them especially, both these defenses are good. The Colts defense is good. Darius Leonard is back and looking, you know, the Colts defense is playing well now. So neither one of these teams is is uh, very good on third down also. So this feels like kind of a, a bit of an ugly game maybe. And we might get a bunch of three and outs. These are both teams that really want to run the ball I think that's going to move the clock. We're going to get, you know, not as many possessions as some of these other games. So a lot of running the ball, some three and outs and punts back and forth. Uh, One thing that I have my eye on, the Ravens have been elite in the red zone and the Colts have been awful in the red zone when they do get there. So that could be a swing factor in this game. Um, I, I have to push back though. The one thing that I disagree with what you said, I don't want the Ravens teased here because I think the Colts are live and Mm. The reason is this, and, and the re- I, I would I, n- I don't know that I want to bet on Colts plus seven. I like the under better, but if you have that game that we just described, this ugly game, close, low scoring, tough to get the points, seven is a lot of points in that spot. So if you if you t- if you take the under, then the Colts right now are plus two fifty on the money line. That's an implied twenty nine percent to win. I think that's low. I think you know. Even if you say the Colts are only 33% to win, that should be a plus 200 money line. So that's still is, is a significant swing. So I think that there's some odds here that favor the Colts, just not necessarily because I like the Colts, because I don't like the Colts. I don't trust them right now. 
But to me, the play, you know, you know me, I'm always looking for a more aggressive read. So if I like the under, then that compels me to also think the Colts are going to have a shot in this one. At BetMGM right now, you can play the Colts money line and the under together at plus 500. So now we have that low scoring game that we think we're getting anyways, and the Colts win the game. That's an implied 17%. If we get the under and it's a close game and it's going to be a one possession thing late and we'll see what happens, the Colts are live. I like them at plus 500 to, you know, not saying they're going to win. I think the Ravens would win. But if you give me a one out of six chance, I think the Colts have a better shot than that. I think the one thing you do have to remember is that the Colts are playing their third straight road game. So I just don't like the spot of that. Obviously, they went, they struggled against Tennessee. Then they, they went over to Miami. And even that in the first quarter, you saw they they, they didn't dominate from, from the opening stretch. So I just think they, they're, they're fighting an uphill battle against a Ravens team who is probably amongst the best in the league. And we're not necessarily giving them that type of credit. So I think the Ravens, the Ravens actually get it done here. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call the Ravens the best in the league. But if they do, if they take care of business here, then I, maybe I'll give them a little bit more respect. I'm a bit worried, too, about how the Ravens will move the ball. We know they love to run the ball, but the Colts' defense has been number five in run DVOA. That's what the Ravens are good at. The Colts, the way to beat the Colts is by the air. They're number 26 in passing defense DVOA. But do we really trust Lamar Jackson to do that? Do we actually trust Marquise Brown to catch the ball when he, when he hits him in stride for the touchdown? You know, maybe, but that's why I'm doubting this a little bit. The line, it's just, it's a numbers play. The number seems a little too high. The money line number seems like there's a little bit of, of play to my advantage. I definitely don't feel good about it. Like, like Simon always says on the favorites, this is gross. I, I don't like this. I don't want to bet the Colts. I'm just, I'm betting the number at, at plus 500. I think that though, if you, if you want the safest play out of this, that we both feel the best about just, just take the under and wait for an ugly game, root for defense and see what happens. Yeah. I think that's, that's the way to go. All right. Well, let's get our week six hot read here and then get out of here. So I will go first on this one. Speaking of defense, I'm actually going to play my first hot read total. I don't play a lot of totals, but Thursday night, Tampa Bay in Philadelphia, they've got the total set at 53 and a half on this one. And I understand the Bucs score all sorts of points. So it always feels like Tampa could hit that on their own. I'm taking the under. Here's what I saw. I looked in action labs. 53 and a half is a lot. And my instinct tells me when I watch Thursday night football, it's ugly. These teams are not ready. They're banged up. They, they don't quite, they're not sharp. They're not ready for a big week. I hate Thursday games. I don't need a Thursday game. I'd rather see teams play at full strength on Sunday. Instead, we get this kind of like halfway game plan. So here's what I saw in Action Labs. Games that open at 53 or higher, and we're at 53 and a half here. We have 17 Thursday night games like that. The under is 13 and four in those games. 77% cover rate. And the under is covering by more than 10 points a game in those games. So 48% ROI. In fact, just last Thursday, the Rams and the Seahawks are this exact game. That game opened at 53 and a half, this exact line. It finished at 43 points, 10 points under the spread, exactly what we're expecting here. So I think that the Eagles, they play some pretty good defense for the most part. They run the ball a lot. They'll slow things down. The Bucks. They can score a lot, but they haven't done that every game this season. So I like the under 53 and a half. I like what you said. I'm riding with that. 
For me, I'm going to go with the Cleveland Browns minus three. They're taking on the Arizona Cardinals, the undefeated Arizona Cardinals. This Cleveland Browns team to me is for real. And they've played some dominant games against the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers, and they weren't able to get the win. But I think there's some things that I think they can capitalize on in this matchup. The Cardinals have really struggled to stop the run this season. They're 29th in rushing success rate. They're 19th in EPA per play. And they're last in explosive run defense. So I think that creates an ideal scenario for Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to actually go go out there and actually run the ball down their throat and keep Kyler Murray in this explosive offense off the field. And when you look at the way they played San Francisco, to me, San Francisco was live in that game. They won the yardage, 338 to 304. Yards per play, 5.7 to 5.1. They had more rushing yards, 152 to 94. But the biggest thing difference in that game is that San Francisco was just one for five on fourth down. And they were only 50% in the red zone. So you had some big swings in that game where you actually had them on the goal line. They got a goal line stop. You had them at midfield twice. They they got stopped on fourth on fourth down. You had them in field goal range. They don't take the points. They get stopped on fourth down. So this 17 to 10 game, it could have easily been 20 to, it could have been 23-17. Or 23-14, Arizona, I mean, San Francisco. So I think Cleveland being at home, they're in a good spot. Arizona's got to play them early East Coast time. I love the spot for the Cleveland Browns. There may be some two and a halfs in the market. Maybe you even want to wait on this a little bit because we all know the public is all going to be on Arizona. But if you can get a two and a half, I, I think I would bet that now. I even like the three, to be honest. Yeah, I need to think on this one because – I like the matchup. I like the run game they're talking about. That was why both of us like San Francisco against Arizona today. We thought that they'd run the ball and they did run the ball pretty well. Trey Lance ran well. So I like Cleveland to be able to run the ball, control the clock. I like their defense. They're playing really well right now. The problem is Arizona is a short underdog here. We've seen that what short underdogs have done this season. That's not a great spot to bet against. And Arizona by action labs, unbeaten underdogs on week three or week four or later unbeaten underdogs are pretty rare. They don't happen very often and they are 31 and 23 and two against the spread. So they cover that 57% of the time. So I'm a little torn on this one. I like the Browns matchup. The trends really like Arizona here. For me, it's probably a spot where I'm going to wait and see where the money does come. If the line moves, you know, especially at three half point in one direction or the other direction might swing dramatically on how we're playing this one. So I think it's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. What's your next pick? All right, so my other hot read, I'm just going to keep this easy. The Kansas City Chiefs on the road at Washington are minus six and a half right now. I'm grabbing it. I'm grabbing it before it's seven. Washington's pass defense can't stop anybody. I'm not afraid of the Chiefs. I'm not afraid of the back door with Tyler Heineke. Kansas City is going to score points. They're two and three. They got to stop screwing around. They got to go out and get their points and get the win. We saw a week ago the Chiefs actually won and covered for once finally, so I'm not so afraid of that that trend that had been all the one-score games for a while. There's no way this line is not moving toward Kansas City. Against Washington, come on. We're going to get to seven. We're going to get past seven. I'm going to grab it for the key number. I'm going to trust the Chiefs. 
like I said earlier, it's one of the most overrated units in football, but it's still getting that respect. And I think you're asking a lot for Taylor Henneke to go point for point with Patrick Mahomes. So I agree with you. All right. That is going to wrap it up today at the Action Network podcast. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and review. Stucky and Raybon are back Wednesday night with their NFL betting guide six-pack. Raheem and I are back Friday for our usual run through the slate and our new look-ahead segment. For Raheem Palmer and Mason Crosby, I'm Brandon Anderson, and this has been the Action Network Podcast. We are on to week six.